Welcome to Sunday School for Heathens. The show where we learn about Christianity and how weird it sounds to everyone else. I'm Shannon. And I'm Brian. I'm not a priest and I do not have a degree in theology. I'm just the kind of guy who heard about Hot Priest Summer before I heard about Hot Girl Summer. This is because your Twitter life is so weird. Yes. <laughs> also, Hot Priest Summer... <laughs> what? Uh, have, you heard, have you heard of the, the TikTok priest guy? No. Oh, okay. David Peters. He um, is a priest who is TikTok famous. Okay. <laughs> sure. TikTok is one that I haven't quite gotten myself into. I have... Not but gotten sure into people... it at all, but I've seen it referenced on Twitter. What kind is... of priest is he? He's Episcopalian. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he's he can be hot and marriageable and not hot and forbidden. I think he is married, I believe. Okay, but he is the hot priest of TikTok? Yeah, he has, like, proclaimed him. Like, he, had, he did a video where it was, like, a couple different outfits. Okay. And it's, like, jump cuts between these outfits, and one of them is the hot priest summer outfit, and it's, like, a light gray suit. Okay. But yeah. Sure. And everyone was making jokes about that. And then it wasn't until like after I like looked into that that I figured out that that wasn't its own standalone thing that was based on a different thing. That you were it was referencing something else. Yeah. Yes. Quality. So. <laughs> like I said, your Twitter world is very weird. I would not change it. Uh, no, it I love is it. perfectly you in every way. <laughs> and I appreciate it. Alright, what are we talking about this week, Brian? So, in honor of Hot Girl Summer, we're going to talk about the sexiest book of the Bible. Ooh. Song of Solomon. Ooh. All right. Is it really the sexiest? Yeah. Pretty sexy at points. Okay. Uh, It's a collection of love poems. Ooh. And it's in the Bible? Yeah. Like the real Bible, or is it like an added text? No, it's it's in the real Bible. Oh, wow. Which which half? (laughs) It's in the Hebrew Bible. Okay. Um, I have so many questions already, clearly. So this is going to be a two-parter. Okay, cool. Most of what we're going to do today is I'm going to, like, summarize it and pull out some, some quotes. Cool. Uh, and then we'll talk about, obviously, there's a little bit of controversy. There's different interpretations of it. Sure. And we'll get into that next time. Cool. I'm into it. But yeah, Song of Solomon, also sometimes called Song of Songs or Canticle of Canticles. Um, I like the word Canticle. It's, it's a good word. It's a fun word. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, it canticles, like a song. Sure. Yeah. Um, and saying blank of blank basically means like, this is the best one. Sure. Like, this is the song of all the songs. Yes. Or the canticle of all the canticles. Yeah. Which, like, we, we've come across that before when we talked about the Holy of Holies. Yes. Correct. We get this title, uh, Song of Solomon, Song of Songs, whatever, from the first verse and the first chapter. It's Song of Songs, which is... Two, four, by Solomon. The Hebrew word, it, it can it could mean that it's written by Solomon. It could mean that it was about him. It could mean that it was a gift to him. Or it could just mean it's kind of inspired by him. Sure. It is related to Solomon in some way. Yeah. So the author of this book, probably not Solomon. Okay. When he's mentioned, he's mentioned in the third person. Also, these characters are really into monogamy mm-hmm. in these uh, these poems. And Solomon totally was not. Okay. He had like 700 wives and 300 concubines. (laughs) So Solomon was like a real person who existed in the Hebrew Bible. Yeah, a King Solomon. Great, yes. That is a name that sounds familiar. Yes. And this is a bunch of love poems that were maybe sent to him by people who liked monogamy more than him? Probably not sent to him by a lover, but possibly. Sure. Some people believe that. Some people, it's 
more likely that people believe that he wrote them if they believe that he is directly involved. Sure. But it's, the other thing is most of it is written from the perspective of the woman. Okay. So that would be another reason why it would be kind of odd if that Solomon wrote it. But sure. You know, people can write as different characters. Cool. But also based on some of the language used in the book, it was at the very least edited into its final form in about the 4th century BCE, mm-hmm. which was post-Babylonian exile. Whereas Solomon, if Solomon had, had written it, it would have been during his reign sometime between 971 and 931 BCE. And the yeah. scholars who believe he wrote it believe that it would have been on the earlier end, partly because it would have been before he had all those wives. Sure, that would make more <laughs> sense. <laughs> so it's split. I okay. think more scholarly articles written about this are going to say it's not Solomon. Cool. Sounds like a plan. But historically attributed to him. Got it. Some people actually believe that that first line was added as part of the later edits and like didn't even say. Okay. Then of, maybe. Of Solomon at all until later. Okay. But does he come up in later? He, he's mentioned. Okay. So it was definitely written either during the time when he was king or later. Sure. Because he was, he's mentioned. That makes total sense. <laughs> That's how time works. Yeah. This book, it's also more of a collection of poems than it is a narrative story, though a lot of people try to put it into a, a narrative box sure. um, and have throughout history. I Thinking through it, it, it's kind of like popular music, okay. like, where it's like, if you're like casually listening, you're like, yes, this follows a story, but mm-hmm. then you like try to like listen very closely and figure out what the exact story is, and you're like, mm, maybe this is not... A real thing. Sure. That makes sense. <laughs> In my head, I went back to, like, any Fallout Boy song. Sure. <laughs> I was thinking uh, She Will Be Loved by Maroon 5. Something like that, where it's like, you're like, there's a story. Uh-huh. But what is it? <laughs> yes. Exactly. Okay. I know what we're talking about now. I got, I got a feel for this. That's, that's where we're at. Cool. <laughs> so let's jump into the story, which is going to be the bulk of this episode. Let's do it. So we start off with a woman talking to her friends about this man, her lover. She begins, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Yeah, so sexy book of the Bible. You weren't lying when you said this is going to get sexy. Oh, it gets sexier even. Oh, wow. And her friends basically just respond, Yes, queen. Yes. (laughs) Uh, We we will exalt and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. So yes, you deserve all of this love. Good for you. Yeah, this woman, she she has like her posse. They're great. I love that this is a woman with really good friends who hype her up always. Oh, they totally do. Good. Because everyone needs that in their lives. Uh, yeah, it's, it's solid. I love it. Mm-hmm. Then the, this woman, she goes on to explain that even though her, her skin is dark because her brothers force her to work in the fields all day, she is still fine as hell. Good. <laughs> so she knows. And then she asks where her lover takes his sheep to rest because she doesn't want to be a veiled woman stuck by his friend's sheep. And her friends first remind her that she is fine as hell. And then they tell her to go look for him. Good. <laughs> so she's like, should I go see him? I don't want to go to the wrong place. This is the problem with shepherds. <laughs> <laughs> no, she like she totally wants to go see him. Yeah. But she like has got to figure out where he is. She doesn't want to... She doesn't mm. want to be hanging out with those other shepherds. No, no. Only one shepherd for her. <laughs> and, like, this guy might not be a shepherd. This might be a metaphor. Okay. <laughs> sure. 
This one I did. I looked into some of the other metaphors a little more deeply. I didn't. Qu- I didn't look into this one as deeply. But yeah, so looking looking for a guy, and then then we switch to the man speaking. He starts describing how beautiful his his lover, his woman is, and he says that he will buy her jewelry. Okay, good. Uh, at one point, he says, "Ah, you are beautiful, my love. Ah, you are beautiful. Your eyes are like doves. Ah, you are beautiful, my beloved. Truly lovely." Oh, yeah. How sweet it is. And then we switch back to the woman. Okay. And she says, As a lily among brambles, so is my love among maidens. So, like, Ah. I've got the best love. Yeah. (laughs) She is exalting her love here. Mm -hmm. We're we're into it. Mm -hmm. And then, here, we're going to get Renia more sexy. She's describing her man. As an apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among young men. With great delight, I sit in his shadow. And his fruit was sweet to my taste. So <laughs> Getting sexy. So she she's also getting a little worked up here. So in love. So she pulls back for a moment. She tells her friends, do not stir up or awaken love until it's ready. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so then the woman describes her man again, leaping joyfully toward her like a sag and coming to her house. He urges her to come with him and enjoy the beauties of the spring. He says... Let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. And she says, My beloved is mine and I am his. He pastures his flock among the lilies. Until the day breathes and the shadows flee, turn, my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on the cleft mountains. Which I just think is pretty. It is pretty. (laughs) I like it. A lot of what we've talked about on this show has been more narrative, historical record type Mm -hmm. books of the Bible. This one is just, like, straight-up poetry. I love and so it. it's just a very different style. Mm-hmm. How refreshing in, like, all of the history and the sort of, like, craziness that happens to, like, break it up and be like, hey, do you remember that at this time, like, also people were loving each other and, like, doing things? Yeah. <laughs> I actually, I had a conversation recently with someone where they were confused about different genres of literature within the Bible. Sure. And one of the most helpful things that was ever, like, the way the Bible is described to me is it's not a book, it's a library. I think you've said that to me before, too, mm-hmm. because I was always kind of confused about that because so many stories are repeated. Yeah. You know, especially in those main four Gospels in the Hebrew Bible, um, that it's like, how does this work? Like, it's not beginning to end. Yeah. And so I think the idea of thinking of it like a library is really helpful. Yeah, for sure. So let's see, where where are we? We So he is a stag, he's running towards her. Mm-hmm. And now a woman has a dream, and she's telling her friends about her dream. She was looking for her lover, but she couldn't find him. She searched all around the city, but couldn't find him. And she even stumbled upon some guards, and she asked them if they had seen him. But then she finally found him, and she took him home with her. She said... I held him and would not let him go until I brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her that conceived me. And again, getting too steamy, pull ourselves back, time to remind the girls, do not stir up or awaken love until it is ready. Oh god, is this a repeated (laughs) phrase that comes up throughout the book? It is. Good. And it seems to be always at the points where it's like, this is the hottest point. Alright, let's pull back, girls. Okay. (laughs) Fan myself. Clearly. Then the woman, she has not found her chill. She starts describing her man and his boys approaching. 
Look, it is the litter of Solomon. Around it are sixty mighty men of the mighty men of Israel, all equipped with swords and experts in war. And then she says, uh, Look, O daughters of Zion, at King Solomon, at the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, on the day of the gladness of his heart. So at this point, the object of her affection has gone from being some guy specifically to King Solomon. And this could be a metaphor, or it could be actually King Solomon. Correct. So, yeah, you could you could read this as literal, she is the lover of King Solomon, they're married. Mm-hmm. Which a lot of people do. A lot of people use this book as an example of an expression of healthy Christian sexuality within marriage. Sure. Which is a valid reading of it. Like, yeah. For sure. She also could be speaking a little bit in metaphor that, like, this guy is so great, he's like King Solomon, who is the greatest person that I can think of to compare him to. Sure. Yeah, and I guess just, like, the way you've been telling it so far, that's kind of where my brain went. Mm-hmm. But I could see how it could go either way. Yeah, it, it totally could be about Solomon. It could be about not Solomon, but they're married. Sure. It could be they're not married. I don't know. The face you just made at the concept of this being about two people that are not married was just really adorable to me. I mean, I'm fine with it if they're not. I know, but it was sort of a, like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, but like... <laughs> But I think that that might be the, the reason for the on the day of his wedding. Sure. That makes sense. Establishing the marriage as like a... Could be. As a fact of this particular circumstance. Again, we're we're interpreting poetry. Yeah. So this is a lot more uh, wobbly than trying to explain some of the other things that we Sure. About. That makes total <laughs> sense. So Solomon or someone like Solomon approaching. Cool. Then he showed up in all his battle-ready regal glory, and he is ready to describe his woman, his lover, uh, in all of her beauty. He describes her eyes like doves, her hair like goats, her teeth like shorn ewes. How do you say it? Ewes? I can never say that word. It's all right. I can't spell catechism. (laughs) Oh, no one can. It's fine. (laughs) It's all right. I also can't pronounce emeritus right the first time. Mm, That's a hard, yeah. It's a really hard word for me, and I can't explain it. Yeah, so we've got some livestock, and then lips like (laughs) crimson thread, cheeks like halves of a pomegranate, neck like the Tower of David, and breasts like twin fawns. There's a lot of animal metaphors here. There are. You know, maybe he's a shepherd. Fair. (laughs) He has canonically been a shepherd already in this story, so he could continue to be a shepherd. He he is either (laughs) metaphorically or actually a shepherd. Or metaphorically or actually a king. Yeah, exactly. A lot of the readings say that whatever he is, he is in a position of societal power higher than she is because she is the type of person who works in the fields. Sure. And he is something... A, a shepherd or a king. Yeah, something greater. Cool. But yeah, and then he still praising her. How sweet is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice. This is the second time they've been better than wine. She called him better than one at the very beginning. They're both drunk on this love. Sure. Yeah. And wine is great. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. <laughs> uh, and then another metaphor. This one is a more obvious metaphor. Uh, he describes her as a locked garden. A garden locked is my sister, my bride. A garden locked, a fountain sealed. Your channel is an orchard of pomegranates with all choicest fruits. And she says... Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind. 
Blow upon my garden that its fragrance may be wafted abroad. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat of its choicest fruits. Does she back off now? Or no. are they still going to get sexier? He comes to the garden. And oh, good. everyone celebrates. Yay! <laughs> I'm not clapping on mic. So, marriage consummated? Sure. <laughs> Probably. That's sure what it sounds like. <laughs> and he says, eat friends, drink, and be drunk with love. Good. This is probably the point where we're celebrating their marriage. Yeah, this sounds like a wedding party. <laughs> and then the woman has another dream. Okay. Her man is at the door knocking and asking to be let in. But she tells him that it is late and she's already gotten undressed and washed her feet. And should she get dressed again and dirty her feet at this hour? But then he reaches his hand into the room and she yearns for him. So she rushes to the door to unlock it. But he's gone. So she goes to the city again and searches all around for him again. Yep. Can't find him anywhere. She comes across the guards again. Yep. And asks them where he is. Sure. But this time they beat her. Ooh. Yeah, not a good dream. Not a good dream. She tells her friends, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, tell him this, I am faint with love. And her friends ask, okay, seriously, what is it with this guy? How could he possibly be so great? Yeah. (laughs) They say... What is your beloved more than another beloved, O fairest among women? They make sure. To She's still her, hot. You're still fine as hell. But who is this guy? <laughs> I was like, you're fine as hell. Why are you spending all your energy on this guy? <laughs> yeah. What is your What is your beloved more than another beloved that you adjure us? So she's ditched her friends a little bit for this dude. I guess maybe. Feeling, Oof. Feeling slighted. Drama. But like, still. Yeah. They love her. She's great. Good. <laughs> and so she's gonna tell them why this guy is so great. Cool. She tells them. His head is like gold, his hair black like a raven and wavy, his eyes like doves, cheeks like beds of spices, lips like lilies, arms gold set with jewels, body ivory encrusted with sapphires, legs alabaster columns, and his speech is most sweet and he is altogether desirable. There we go. She Uh, uses less animal metaphors. Yeah, I was gonna, as I was reading both descriptions side by side, this is probably a cultural thing. He, his compliments were probably very sexy in context. Hers hold up way better. Yes. <laughs> Correct. So, but yeah, it, definitely a thing I noticed as I was reading. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she knows how to make a compliment. She does. He is a, definitely a shepherd. <laughs> <laughs> he might be. Uh, I don't know if I ever want to be uh, related to a you in a, in a compliment. But, I mean, it's it was the teeth, and they were freshly shorn, so it was like, your teeth are very white. Okay, I'll give you that. So I get it. <laughs> yes, but it doesn't hold up super well. <laughs> but, you know, working with what he had. Sure. <laughs> a for effort. <laughs> and so she describes him. Her friends, all right, they get it, fine. Hell of a description. The friends ask, which way did he head? We'll help you look for him. And... The woman says that he has gone down to his garden to pasture his flock and gather lilies. And this is probably a less metaphorical garden than the other garden. Probably. <laughs> this is probably not the same garden. <laughs> I would hope not. <laughs> and now we jump back. Man describing the woman again. Doubling down on a lot of the same imagery of okay, before. Sure. Um, more, more farm animals. More yeah, livestock. Yeah. Verbatim, the same description. Okay. Mostly. He also adds... There are 60 queens and 80 concubines and maidens without number. My dove, my perfect one, is the only one. The darling of her mother, flawless to her that bore her. So this 
sounds a little more Solomon-y then. Because if Solomon had all of these wives and concubines, then this is like a, of all my wives and concubines, you're the one. Yeah, this is probably the most Solomon thing in here. Yeah. But also... I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> he could just be talking about conceptual wives and concubines. Right. Or like, there are just lots of... There are lots of pretty women in this area. Yeah. You're the best one. Cool. You are the most beautiful of all of the women. Yeah. Uh, He also, he adds on to his description of her. He describes her graceful feet, her navel like a rounded bowl full of wine, a belly like a heap of wheat, and nose like the Tower of Lebanon overlooking Damascus. Okay, these are slightly better metaphors. A little better. I I thought the Tower one was a little weird. It's a little weird. (laughs) Uh, That is a little strange, but he's working, he's getting there. He's warming up. Yeah. <laughs> so good for him. Yeah. I do like navel like a bowl full of wine. That's a good one. That one is, yeah, that one is pretty good. Mm-hmm. This is his best one. I love this line. I'm ready. You are stately as a palm tree and your breasts are like its clusters. I say I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its branches. That's a good one. I, I'm into that one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is a specific image that all of us can imagine. Yes. Good job. Good imagery. Dude. Dude. <laughs> Doesn't have a name. Guy in these poems. <laughs> and he also, we go back to more wine. Your kisses like the best wine that goes down smoothly gliding over lips and teeth. Oh, I like it. Right? Mm-hmm. I was not lying. Sexiest book of the Bible. Sexiest book of the Bible. <laughs> Y'all. <laughs> and you didn't know it was in there. Didn't know anything about this. Lots of little, lots of like... Christian 13-year-olds, like, this is all they had. Yeah. <laughs> Dear Lord. <laughs> and then the woman tells her man that they should go out together to the fields, to the towns, to the vineyard in the early morning, and that there she will give him her love. Wow. And then she says to her man, if only you were my brother, then we could kiss in public and people wouldn't bother us. What? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's more socially acceptable for you to, like, greet a relative with a kiss. Sure. <laughs> and then she would lead him into that chamber of her mother's. Yes. And she said, uh, I would give you spiced wine to drink, the juice of my pomegranates. Mm. Those are pomegranates. Those are probably metaphorical pomegranates. Those are probably metaphorical <laughs> pomegranates. I assume that of all of the things that are consistently metaphorical in this poem, uh, the pomegranates remain relatively metaphorical the whole time. Probably. I mean, I don't know. They might have snacks, but... (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Snacks are important. And then again to the girls. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, do not stir up or awaken love until it is ready. Yes. (laughs) Also a thing that Christian 13-year-olds probably needed to hear when spending their time digging through this book. Yeah, cool it. (laughs) You got this. You got time. (laughs) Hang in there. And then this next part is really beautiful, probably one of the most pulled out parts of the passage. It's the reading at our friends Jim and Katie's wedding. Oh, yeah. From Song of Solomon. That bit is, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death, passion fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, a raging flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If one offered for love all the wealth of one's house, it would be utterly scorned. I remember that. Yeah. So that's in here. And beautiful, less explicitly sexual. Sure. (laughs) Yep. More family friendly for a wedding. A little bit, yeah. Well, I mean, all of this you can get away with. I mean, it is in the Bible. It is all metaphorical. Sure. (laughs) And then the woman talks about a sister 
who is young now but will one day be old enough to be married. Um, she speaks with this metaphor, If she is a wall, we will build upon her a battlement of silver, but if she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. Oh, great. <laughs> Lock up your pretty young women. Well, I mean, if, if they are on their own chase, reward them for it. Yes. <laughs> but you might have to watch out for them. Careful, they're wily. <laughs> the woman says that she was a wall. Ah. With breasts like towers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is another fun image. Yep. <laughs> Don't think about it too hard. It gets weirder the more you do. <laughs> she has great tracks of land. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me think of the wall in the play within a play in Midsummer Night's Dream. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. A lot of this does feel very much of that ilk of yep. Shakespearean sex metaphors. Yes. Love, love a good Shakespearean sex metaphor. <laughs> and then we talk about a vineyard that Solomon has. Solomon has a vineyard at Balhaman. He entrusted the vineyard to keepers. Each one was to bring for its fruit a thousand pieces of silver. My vineyard, my very own, is for myself. You, O Solomon, may have the thousand, and the keepers of the fruit two hundred. This is a metaphor. Okay. Yeah. Uh, a little less clear than the last one. Sure. There are multiple different interpretations. One is money can't buy love. Solomon can lease out fields, but this other vineyard is her own. Mm-hmm. Another is that it's the man speaking here, saying that Solomon obviously does not care as much about his vineyards because he leases them to others, but this guy cares about his beloved so much that he tends her himself. Sure. Another is basically that the money is for the brothers protecting the woman before her marriage. Okay. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> I could not really parse out which one felt the most right. Fair. You know, everyone can do their own interpretation then. Yeah, it's a poem, guys. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> but chances are that they didn't just, like, take a brief transactional interlude in the middle. Probably not. This was probably not literally about... Leasing vineyards. Yeah, Solomon leasing his vineyard. Sure. <laughs> and then this is the end of the book. We end with... O you who dwell in the gardens, my companions are listening for your voice. Let me hear it. Make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag upon the mountains of spices. Beautiful. Yeah. Lots of pretty imagery. We'll talk a little bit next time about what kind of narrative structure people try to put this into. Other people view the whole thing as metaphor. Mm-hmm. There's some controversy about people thought it was too sexy for the Bible. No such thing. Um, apparently. Oof. As we've learned. Yeah. (laughs) But we'll talk about more of that next time. Sounds great. Well, let's take a quick break, fan ourselves off, and come back for some fun. Sounds good. And we're back. And now it is time for the Patronage Pop Quiz, where I tell Shannon about a saint, and she has to guess what they are the patron of. Is our saint this week as sexy as the Song of Solomon? No, he's not. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Had to bring it down on us, Brian. Sorry. Looking back, I should have picked uh, St. Sebastian. Yeah. Not not sexy in his, like, actual story, but depicted... Very sexy. Very, yeah, in a very sexual manner. And I don't know anything about St. Sebastian except for artistic depictions of him. (laughs) So we've got to do Sebastian at some point. He just, he got stabbed with arrows and didn't die. He's just, like, moodily, like, lounged. Yes. In every depiction. Just like, oh... Except for the one where he's a cow. What? Have you not seen this? <laughs> I don't think I have. What's his name? Damien Hurst, the guy who did the shark in the formaldehyde, 
has a sculpture, I guess, I don't know if it's still being displayed anywhere, that is a cow carcass with all of the appropriately done arrows, but it's like a giant, like, you know, like 14 foot encasement. That's wild. I'll pull up a picture after we record for you. I've seen it in person. It's crazy. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Not talking about St. Sebastian. Okay, Sorry. who are we talking about? <laughs> uh, we're talking about St. Rock. Rock? Yeah. R-O-C-K or R-O-C? R-O-C-H. Ooh, okay. French. French. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Rock was born in 1295 in Montpierre, France, to a wealthy family. His father was the governor there. But by the time he was 20... Both of his parents had died. He's described as orphaned, which orphaned at the age of 20 just, like, sounded weird to me. Sure. I mean, not wrong, but also kind of weird. Right. It's Yeah, it's, it's correct. I just, when I think of someone being orphaned, I think of them as a child. Sure. But whatever. Okay. But orphaned at the age of 20. Yeah. And not having family to tie him to France, he gave all of his money away, renounced the governorship that he would have been given. Yep. It went to his uncle, and he went on a pilgrimage to Rome. Cool. He may have also become a Franciscan tertiary. What is a tertiary? Like the lay order. Okay, so like like not a Franciscan monk, but a member of the Franciscan order that's not a monk. Correct. Okay, cool. Yeah, he's like a lay person who like ascribes to the values. That makes sense. Once in Rome... He began caring for victims of a plague that was ravaging Italy. Okay. He was able to miraculously cure many people of the disease by making the sign of the cross over them. Cool. Eventually, however, he caught plague himself. That's how that works sometimes. It makes sense. Yep. Once he realized that he had the disease, he wandered out into the forest to die alone and not infect anyone else. How sweet, but also depressing. Yeah, very considerate. Yep. (laughs) But once he got into the forest, a dog found him and befriended him. Okay. So now he's not alone. (laughs) Yeah, he's with a a dog friend. But he still has the plague and is still in a forest. Yep. Great. The dog would steal scraps of food from his master's table and bring them out to rock in the forest. (gasps) Oh, what a good boy. Such a good boy. (laughs) And with the dog's help, Rock was able to recover. Great. There's no further record. The dog might have been his buddy, like, going forward. There's not any mention of the dog after this point. Are there paintings of the dog in a plague doctor mask? I, that's very specific, and I doubt it. Okay. <laughs> there might, there's probably pictures of Rock next to a dog. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Once he had sufficiently recovered, he decided to head back to France. Cool. On his way to town, he was arrested and accused of being a spy in Pilgrim's clothes. Gross. He didn't say who he actually was. Why? He refused to say. I, could, I do not know why. Okay. But he was arrested and in prison because of this. Sure. That's and, how that works. And... His uncle, who was still the governor at this point, yep. uh, might have actually been the one who imprisoned him for being a spy. Awkward. Um, yeah, not... Maybe he was worried that he was coming back to take his job? His uncle did not recognize him. Okay. And Rock didn't mention who he was. Okay. He spent five years in prison, and during all of this time, an angel stayed with him and cared for him in prison. Great. But he still ended up dying in prison, and it was only after his death that his uncle learned that he had imprisoned his own nephew. Awkward. And the way he figured this out is that he recognized the cross-shaped birthmark on Rock's chest. That's very distinctive. Yeah. <laughs> and also probably brands you at maybe becoming a saint from an early age. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think Especially people, at that time. Yeah, people were like, hmm, keep an eye on this one. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, that is Saint Rock. Shannon, what is Rock the patron of? Ooh, this one's hard. Because I'm almost certain there's not a patron of unusual birthmarks. 
Or if there is, it's probably not this guy. Is he the patron saint of dogs? He is. Uh... I did it! (laughs) (laughs) That is on the list. What's the whole list? The whole list is Rock is the patron against cholera, against diseased cattle, against epidemics, against knee problems, against plague, against skin diseases, against skin rashes. He is the patron for bachelors, diseased cattle, dogs, falsely accused people, and invalids. Sure. All of those check out. Yeah. I guess I could have guessed against plague, but... But there's been times where you would have thought that would have been a slam dunk, and it's not. It's true. (laughs) Sometimes the best thing is to take the most obvious one, and then the second most obvious one, and guess the second one. You usually have a better chance. But also, I don't think my track record is great, so don't take my advice. (laughs) It's... This is a hard game. It is a hard game. It is a fun game. But it is a hard game. That is for sure. Well... Thank you all so much for listening this week. If you're enjoying the show, tell a friend, write a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. You can also subscribe so that way podcasts get into your feed faster. If you want to reach out to us directly, you can send us an email at sundayschoolforheathens at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at school number four heathens or look us up on Facebook. Brian, did you have a thing you wanted to add? Yes, there was a page break in my notes. Uh, Rock has a few more patronages. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Let's keep going, then. Only three more. Relief from pestilence for surgeons and for tile makers. Okay, all the random ones get on the other side of the page break. (laughs) (laughs) We'll tag that on. I, you know, I had to make sure that all of the surgeons and tile makers that we now know that they are represented. Sure. Uh, Also, thank you to Adam Griffin and David Griffin for their respective help with the show, editing, songs, etc., Neither of them are surgeons or tile makers, but I guess Adam could maybe be a surgeon someday. He could. Adam is in medical school. So he is probably the closest to a surgeon any of us know, personally. I mean, I have had surgery. Yes, but you're not, like, friends with your surgeon. No, I'm not. Sure. (laughs) Uh, Well, on that note... (laughs) Amen? Amen. Go in peace to like and share the pod. (laughs) 